Welcome in to the Fog.net podcast. Michael Swain here after Kansas lost to West Virginia on the road in Morgantown, 65-64. to To give you a little quick overview of what we're going to do today, I'm going to start off and just talk a little bit about the game, and then we're going to go in and deep dive into the final three minutes, because I really do want to kind of look at that and where it went wrong for KU and where some things maybe went right for West Virginia, if you could say that. And then we'll go into who I thought was the top performer of the game and who I thought stood out and really who didn't stand out because there are a slew of names that really didn't stand out to me tonight. And then we're going to look at the Big 12 as a whole as KU goes on to face Iowa State on Monday. So starting off, it was a really ugly first half. It was one of those first halves that really you wish you didn't necessarily have to watch. Um, at halftime, it was 23-23. to 23. KU was 0 of 6 from 3 in the first half and only had one assist. Only one assist. I thought that that was ridiculous. Only one assist. I mean, yes, you score 23 points, but to only have one assisted basket, I thought was crazy. Devon Dotson did not have a good first half, and he really didn't have a good game as a whole, but right now we're just focusing on the first half. He had four turnovers and really looked sped up. West Virginia didn't necessarily press as hard and as tough as they have in years past, and Dotson really did give away possessions on multiple occasions, and I thought that for the most part they were avoidable. I thought also in the first half, this is something that I've talked about in the past with Ochai Abaji. I had said after he had made his debut that I'd be really interested to see how he played at West Virginia, just because that is a really hostile environment. They do press a little bit, but as I said, they didn't press as hard because they don't have, you know, Sagaba Kanate at the back and Javon Carter up front pressing. But Ochai only played four minutes in the game and he had three turnovers, but did get two rebounds in that time. I think that it was pretty clear from that time, from that little short span he was in in the first half, that it wasn't going to be his type of game. West Virginia really was just playing too physical. And also a fun note for Ochai, I guess not fun because it didn't end well, but those were his first three turnovers as a Jayhawk. In the previous three games that he played in, he didn't turn the ball over once. So looking at the second half then, really for the most part, KU, I wouldn't say controlled, but KU had a lead for the majority of the second half. And now kind of moving into the final three minutes, because this is where things really did go awry for KU. So starting off at the three-minute mark, KU was up 62-58. to West Virginia had an offensive foul to give KU possession to possibly keep it at a two-possession game and even make it a really hard two-possession game where you have to make two threes to get back in it. Ahmad was trying to post up Marcus Garrett, and in doing so, fouled Garrett. He kind of tried to do a swim move, but kind of elbowed him in the face. It was a clear offensive foul. So then on the other end, you get a little Diedrich Lawson, Marcus Garrett, pick and roll at the top of the key. And Garrett did a really good job of getting downhill. He cut across from left to right and was able to get to the rim and finished. That's something that Marcus Garrett has done really well this year is finishing at the rim. I think that that's a part of his game that maybe we didn't get to see as much last year, 
But now that he's getting the ball a lot more, we've really seen just how really good of a finisher he is and how strong and fast he is in his ability really just to get to the rim whenever he wants. So that bucket made it 64 to 58 with two minutes and 35 seconds to go. So then West Virginia comes down and they didn't get anything going on the offensive end and Bob Huggins called a timeout. So then out of the timeout, Culver got the ball kind of right around the free throw line and had Diedrich Lawson on him and then kind of looked to the left and baited LeGerald Vick into who LeGerald Vick was on the left wing and baited him in to kind of sinking inside the three point line, which left Wesley Harris open and Culver got the ball to Harris who then pulled up and made a three. And this I thought was an, not an interesting decision, but just a poor decision on the Gerald Vick's part. Harris is a 37% shooter from three this season. He's 17 of 45. He had missed others leading up to that that I thought were maybe a little bit tougher shots. But Vick left him ah, just too much room. I, I couldn't give you a, a foot or a size, but it was enough room for him to rise up and shoot the ball comfortably. Vic didn't take away his airspace and didn't make it a tough shot. He really did pull up and contest it a little bit short. So that went in with about two minutes and 10 seconds left. So then KU goes again to the Garrett and Diedrich Lawson pick and roll. This time Garrett comes off of it and he gets the ball in the right elbow with Issa Ahmad on him and use some nice ball handling. I will give him that to get some space between him and Ahmad. But then Garrett, when he got that space, took a little, did like a step back and shot a mid-range two, had no chance. It clanged off the back of the rim. There was 12 seconds left on the shot clock. Marcus Garrett is 5 of 21 on two-point jumpers this year. And if you're into percentages, that's 23.8%. Um, that's not a shot you want to be taking late in the game. And even when there's 12 seconds left on the shot clock, Diedrich Lawson had some space just right to the left of him at the elbow. And he could have gotten it to Diedrich Lawson and would have gotten him another post touch. Or a, it would have been a high post touch, but a post touch nonetheless down the stretch. So then coming down on the other end, West Virginia got Culver the ball again down low. And Culver did do a nice little post move to get past Diedrich Lawson and lay the ball in. So then that made it, a 64 to 63 game with 126 to play. So in coming down the court, Bill Self called the timeout and KU called the timeout. So then coming out of that timeout, they had a little action on the left side for Quentin Grimes to come up. Diedrich Lawson set a down screen for him to come up. It looked like they were trying to get Lawson a post touch, but it didn't work. Devon Dotson ended up dribbling down the shot clock, got it to later Gerald Vick, who then swung it to Mark Scared on the left wing, and then he drove in. And, you know, again, Marcus Scared is great at driving the ball, and he did his best to try and get a, a solid shot off considering the shot clock was winding down. But he missed the layup. West Virginia got the rebound, but then they were lazy with the pass, and Garrett was able to just step right in the middle of it and steal the ball back. That was the second sort of steal that he had had on the game that was like that. He had one in the first half when David McCormick was in, and he was able to steal the ball back in the exact same fashion, just stole the pass and got KU an extra possession. And remember, it's 64 to 63. So then at this point, 
56 seconds left on the clock. KU didn't get anything going. So then when it hit 44 seconds left and 19 on the shot clock, KU called another timeout. So then this time, Diedrich Lawson got the ball after Devon Dotson received the inbound pass. But then West Virginia overplayed Quentin Grimes and Devon Dotson. And Diedrich Lawson was kind of just dribbling the ball at the top of the key and didn't have anything going because, again, West Virginia was taking the ball away from KU's best ball handlers in Grimes and Devon Dotson. So then, again, shot clock comes down. Vic gets the ball in the left wing. He tries to shoot a step back three. He airballs it. But Marcus Garrett did an incredible job and got an offensive rebound. And this is the first time, and this is something that you would see in an NBA game with professionals that have been there and done that. But Marcus Garrett got the ball on the baseline and caught it. And as he's falling out of bounds, he throws the ball behind him, spiking it up in the air, which gave West Virginia a a fast break opportunity with the shot clock off. You would like Garrett to call a timeout there. If if it's the perfect situation, you'd want him to call a timeout because KU still at that point had one left. And that's something that you would have wanted was for him to maybe call that timeout. But you can't blame him. He did incredibly well to get the offensive rebound and to keep it in play and try and keep it in for his teammates. It was just an overall great play. And that is nitpicky. I will be honest. That is me nitpicking that. So then West Virginia gets the ball and they bring it down the court. And Jermaine Hales makes just a a really good play on Quentin Grimes, drives to the rim and got into Grimes' body and kind of had a little like a, a, a one-handed little floater that he was able to make, which then gave West Virginia the 65-64 to lead. So now this is where you get probably the most controversial ending to this. I personally am not a fan of calling timeouts when you're going for a last-second shot to win the game. I'm of the mindset that by doing that, you allow the defense to set up, get their best defensive players on on the court, set their defense, and can prepare for any sort of action that you create. Yes, Bill Self is incredible at out-of-timeout plays, but late in games like that with only eight seconds, and by the time that KU got the ball across the court, it was about 7.5 seconds, six seconds, so you're really not looking for much time at all. You're really going to have to get a really quick look, and you're not going to have a lot of secondary options out of in timeout. But the problem that I had with the last second shot that KU took was that it was a Gerald Vic step back, if you will, maybe not a step back, but he dribbled the ball, almost lost the handle of the ball and ended up with it in the left corner and he missed the three. Diedrich Lawson had the opportunity for a put back with one and a half seconds left, but couldn't put it back in. It hit off the rim and Kansas ended up losing. So with that last play, to break it down even more, KU was in the double bonus, and in quite honesty, Legero Vic should have drove the ball and tried to get some sort of, you know, at least make the defense collapse and then try and draw a foul of some sort because if you do draw a foul, you're automatically going to get two free throws and you're automatically going to get a chance to tie and or put yourself up in the game. KU has really struggled down the stretch of games, and I think that you saw it again here that the leadership is lacking. Ending At the end of games, having Diedrich Lawson is great, but having that experienced 
junior, senior guard that has been there and done that and can create their own shot is really important. And that's kind of where you'd want to see Vic step up in that opportunity and and go to the rim and try and make something happen instead of kind of settling for a three. That's an opportunity where in the past you would have seen, or I believe you would have seen a Devontae Graham or a Frank Mason get to the rim, draw contact, get a foul of some sort, and go from there. But with this team going forward, it's really going to be about how the Kansas's guards play down the stretch. And I think that tonight, they just weren't good enough. So an interesting stat as well, Bill Self moves to 424-17 and 17 when leading with five minutes to go. I think that that is just ridiculous. I think there's another stat that Jesse Newell has floated out there about Bill Self's record in games decided by five points or 10 points or less, and it's just as crazy. So moving on to overall performances, my player of the game by far was Marcus Garrett. Even though he did struggle at the very end with that step back and he missed the layup, I thought overall he was phenomenal. He had a career high six steals. He got his usual three assists. He went 6 from 12 from the field, chipped in 15 points. I mean, you couldn't ask any more of Marcus Garrett. He spent so much time on Isel Ahmad, who is one of West Virginia's best offensive players, and he's so physical, and he just took that and ran with it. He was stealing post entries. He just was incredible. I can't say enough good things about how Garrett played tonight. You could nitpick, and I did nitpick about the end-of-game decision-making with the step back, but even then, I think overall, He played incredibly well, and I think we've seen the development of Marcus Garrett this season right in front of our eyes of just how good he's played. I would say the next, if I'm going to rank, you know, players of the game, I guess Diedrich Lawson would be next. He played 34 minutes, went 5 of 11 from the field, 5 of 6 from the free throw line. He got his double-double again, getting 11 rebounds on 15 points. He had three turnovers, which out of a post player, you don't necessarily want to see. He did only foul once, which is good against a, a, a really physical West Virginia front line. So if I were to give a second place player of the game, I'd give that to Diedrich Lawson. And then besides that, really nobody else stood out to me. You know, LeGerald Vick, I spoke about him and his decision-making in that final play. He went 5 of 12 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3. He got 13 points. You just want more of him on the road. You've seen such good games from him like you saw at Baylor and then back at home against Texas. You just want more consistency, and you're just not going to get it. And I think that that's quite apparent at this point of the season. I thought Devon Dotson was poor. You know, he got his points that you'd expect him to get, nine points on three of five shooting, but a career-high seven turnovers. And I believe against Arizona State, too, he led KU in turnovers. So I think that going forward, that is going to be something to watch for now in these away games is if Devon Dotson is turning the ball over, it's going to be really hard for Kansas to win the game just because he's going to be the one that's initiating and he's going to be the one that's getting other people the ball and distributing it to LeGerald Vick, to Quentin Grimes, to Diedrich Lawson, that if he's turning the ball over, it's really going to throw a wrench in things. And Quentin Grimes gave you another map performance in my opinion, two of four from three, three of seven from the field in 30 minutes. You know, I, I don't know. I wish he was more aggressive driving to the rim. 
his shot from outside has been doing better as of late, and I hope that he can continue that. He just kind of always leaves me wanting more. And then really just going through the bench quickly, KJ Lawson, 16 minutes. I thought this was going to be a matchup for him when you saw that Ochai, this wasn't going to be the game for Ochai. KJ Lawson definitely made sense next, playing the four alongside Diedrich Lawson, especially with Garrett struggling with fouls as well. And for KJ Lawson, you would want him to be a positive offensive player when he's in the game. You know, that's what he's supposed to be good at, you know, but he still fouls so much when he's in there. In 16 minutes, he had three fouls, went one of five from the field, 0 of two from three, got you four rebounds in total. Again, I there's just so many players on this team and just this performance in general that makes you want more from them. I did think David McCormick was decent in the time that he was on the floor. He got four rebounds. I thought that he was pretty energetic. He got two points. I just, I think for him, it's what you'd expect. I think that you're going to see a couple games now where if KU bigs do struggle in foul trouble and the team that they're playing is going to be more physical, David McCormick is going to have to play those minutes and he only got eight tonight. And one final thought on the rotation for KU, it really does feel like Charlie Moore has kind of played himself out of the rotation entirely. He got three minutes today, and when he was in, got burned on the defensive end. And I think that if his shot isn't falling on the offensive end, he just gives you, he just doesn't give you much because he is a liability on the defensive end. And the three point shot is supposed to be his thing. He was a 35% shooter at Cal, he's still shooting under 30% this season. I think it's going to be tough for him to get minutes here on out, especially if Ochai does play well and bounce, bounces back. So a w- quick word on the Big 12 as a whole. To give some context as to when I'm recording this, I'm recording this at around 9 o'clock on Saturday night. Texas Tech lost today as well. So that means that there is a four-way tie for first place between Kansas, Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Kansas State, all of which are are four and two with Iowa state coming in on Monday. That is going to be one of the biggest games of the season. You really want to avoid getting swept because you can't expect Texas tech to go and drop, you know, at the same percentage of games that they have these past two games. So that's going to do it for the fog.net podcast tonight. As always, you can stay tuned to fog.net for all sorts of post-game coverage from the West Virginia game leading into the Baylor game and as well as KU football coverage going forward. You can follow me on Twitter at mswain97 and you can follow Scott Chasen on Twitter at chasenscott. With that said, we will talk to you Monday night after the Iowa State game.